Welcome to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT Live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live from WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Our concert began with a beautiful recent work by a young American composer named Clint Needham. Clint is a young composer I've encountered a few times before. Uh, about three or four years ago, I had the pleasure of, of doing a reading of one of his works for solo clarinet and orchestra, and I was very impressed by that piece. And subsequent to that, we, we have a, an annual a young composer reading session that we do every spring as part of our American Music Festival in May. And we solicit scores from young composers around the country, usually composers in graduate school or just emerging in their careers. And I got 60 or 70 scores from lots of worthy young composers. And in this staff, this was about two and a half years ago, I encountered another piece by Clint Needham, and the piece was so good that I immediately called Clint and said, I really think we don't want to just read this piece. We want to program it and put it on a concert. So I put it on our our Yo-Yo Ma gala that upcoming year, and it opened that concert, uh, and it was a a great, very exciting, life-affirming piece called uh, Everyday Life. Uh, And and we opened the Yo-Yo Ma concert with it, and it was a huge success, and people were really happy with it, and it was just a fantastic piece. So as a result of that, this year I invited Clint to be the Albany Symphony's Mellon-funded composer educator partner, which means that he'll be coming to Albany a number of times and working with a group of young students at Hackett Middle School in the Albany Public School District, teaching them how to become songwriters. It's sort of a literacy through songwriting project that he'll be spearheading with teachers at, uh, at Hackett Middle School, something very exciting. And as part of this residency, we also agree to play one piece at the beginning of the season and to commission and premiere a new piece at the end of the season coming up in May as part of our American Music Festival. So this was the first of Clint's appearances this season as our composer educator partner at the Albany Symphony. And it's a piece called The Body Electric, inspired, as you might imagine, by uh, that section of Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, all about the body electric. Uh, and in fact, uh, as Clint described it, the piece is really all about sort of the, the joy and the pulsing rhythm of life as uh, as Whitman expresses it in that, that passage of the of the poem the work is in three parts uh, a very lively exciting kind of electric sounding opening similarly a vital rhythmic kind of ending with a beautiful sort of ethereal middle section uh, sort of expressing uh, the beauty of womanhood uh, in the middle between these sort of more general ideas of of the body uh, of the electricity of human life uh, the way clint conveys this sense of of electricity is is very interesting and i think beautiful not only does you do it with a lot of wonderful running fast uh, motoric music and a lot of uh, exciting colorful percussion but he also has the strings frequently play what are called harmonics which is where they play very lightly on the string and, and very lightly touch the string with their left hand making these high whistling overtones to the notes that sound again sort of a little bit like space music you'll hear it at the very beginning at the very end of the piece and also at the beginning of this slow beautiful middle section so here now is a, a, a beautiful recent piece by the young American 
Russian composer Clint Needham to open our Josh Bell Gala celebration. It is Clint Needham's orchestral piece, The Body Electric. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Clint Needham's uh, recent work, The Body Electric, featuring the musicians of the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Next on our program, a little bit of an oddly designed program relative to the way programs are, are usually constructed. The, the entire concert was designed as a, a 70-ish minute uh, intermission-free uh, concert because we planned and had a beautiful gala uh, party afterwards. So we didn't want the concert to go on too, too long. So we uh, did a 70-minute pure music, uh, uh, very intense 70 minutes of pure music. Uh, And because the concert was essentially about celebrating Joshua Bell and his coming to our orchestra, uh, Josh Bell, of course, is last on the program. And uh, before Josh Bell, I wanted to do a great masterwork to showcase the incredible uh, beauties of the Albany Symphony musicians. And so I selected one of my all-time favorite pieces. It's the great English work by the great English composer Edward Elgar, his Enigma Variations from 1899, just before the the 20th century dawned. Uh, And uh, this is just one of the most luscious, voluptuous, intimate, beautiful pieces I know. Uh, I must say it's it's a singular piece and uh, all the more remarkable because of the fact that it's such a unique kind of a piece and yet is so successful on its own terms. It's a big set of orchestral variations, not an entirely unique idea. Brahms had had great success with the, uh, with the form in his variations on a theme of Haydn, but really I think along with that work by Brahms, the, the greatest, the other greatest work in the genre. Composers love to write variations uh, because they're so much fun. Beethoven just wrote tons and tons of movements uh, that were variations and piano variations and had movements in in, uh, string quartets and various other pieces that were basically theme and variations because it's it's a very direct kind of form in that you state your theme and then you start creating different versions of it that may go very, very far afield to different kinds of keys from major to minor with all sorts of different kind of rhythmic motifs. There's so many limitless ways uh, to vary uh, a theme. So composers tend to really gravitate to this, but very very few have been really successful at doing it in orchestral frameworks, perhaps because uh, theme and variations as a standalone piece can often seem a little bit bitty in that variations often don't last that long. And so the form is made up of the theme, which may be you know, a minute or two or three, and then all sorts of little one or two or three minute variations. Elgar had this very uh, singular idea in this piece. He was a young, struggling composer. He'd had some success and had written a great number of of works, uh, none of which had sort of garnered more than sort of local or regional interest particularly. Uh, But he was sitting at the piano one evening uh, improvising, and his wife, his beloved wife, Carolyn Alice, said to him, hmm, that sounded like an interesting idea. Play that again. And he said, well, and he played it, and he said, she said, that sounds like a, a, a good idea. He said, I don't know if it's a good idea, but I think something could be made of it. I wonder how it would sound if our friend so-and-so uh, were – if it were expressing what he's like and then he played it somewhat differently. Or how about our friend so-and-so? What would she sound like if she were doing it? And so he started sort of making up these improvisations based on the personalities of many of their friends and, and colleagues uh, in their community. And this gave him this great idea to essentially fashion this set of variations as a, a group of pictures of many of their friends. Uh, and in fact, that's the way the piece unfolds. It begins with this beautiful, beautiful theme. And immediately 
that's linked to a, a variation, which is an expression of his wife, Carol Alice, with whom he was very close and who really was in a way his muse. It was always she who was telling him what to do and who he always said that without her, her uh, pushing him along, he never would have amounted to very much as a composer. Uh, in the case of this first variation, the orchestra plays the theme very, very quietly and you hear in the woodwinds this kind of loud whistle, and that actually was a whistle that she would, would use to call to him uh, when she wanted him to come to dinner. So he en- encrypts or encodes these little personality traits. And as the variations unfold, uh, each one is a different picture. Some, uh, they have a, a lovely friend, Dora Penny, who has a little bit of a speech impediment. So her variation has a little in the woodwinds that sort of indicates her little speech impediment. They had a friend who was a, a violist, Isabel, uh, who, who had trouble crossing strings with her bow. So the whole movement is bum, bum, Bah, trying to cross the bow in the viola section from string to string and sort of a, an homage to this challenge she faced. There's one about a friend of theirs who uh, who had a dog and essentially and, and the dog would love to run into the river and jump and bark and then come off on the shore and shake himself off and that whole movement is essentially a, a picture of this dog jumping into the river and paddling and coming out and shaking himself off. So Elgar had incredible fun with these, with these variations and because they were so much about his world and about his friends, there's a sort of intimacy to them that I always feel sort of draws us, the listeners, in to sort of feel like we're part of his world. Whether we know exactly what he's expressing in any given variation, we always have a a sense that he's telling stories, very intimate stories about his friends and, and loved ones. There's a, a variation about a friend of his who was a cellist, uh, and it begins with a, a wonderful amateur cellist. And it begins with a beautiful little cello solo pretty far into the, the variations. And perhaps the most famous of all the variations sits kind of right in the middle. It's this movement called Nimrod. Nimrod, of course, the hunter in the uh, in the Bible, and uh, Elgar's uh, publisher and best friend was a man named Mr. Jaeger. And Jaeger is the German word for hunter. So as an homage to Jaeger, he wrote this piece, Nimrod, this movement uh, for for Jaeger. It's that beautiful, slow, expressive uh, movement that just is the most gorgeous thing that that now frequently gets played, I I, I hate to say at funerals because it's such a a heart-wrenchingly beautiful, in a certain way, life-affirming movement. And yet it was inspired by a discussion that he and Mr. Jaeger had about their love for slow movements in Beethoven piano sonatas. Finally, at the end, there's a big, fantastic sort of peroration, grand, culminating finale, uh, which bears all of the uh, variations have initials over their their the beginning of each variation, uh, and the initials, of course, are of the, the, the person who this is the homage to or the tribute to. The last one is E-D-U, E-D-U, which I guess was a, a nickname for Edward Elgar himself, and this is this kind of big, jovial, jocose, uh, English triumphant uh, finale, and at a certain point, even an organ joins in to give it this fantastic ending. Interestingly, uh, Elgar had actually added the last I don't know, probably about a minute and a half of music. Uh, when the work was premiered by the great German uh, conductor uh, Hans Richter, both Richter and Elgar's friend, publisher Jaeger, felt that the end was too abrupt and encouraged him to add more to give it more finality. And in fact, he did then do that, and that's the version we all know today. So it's a very dramatic, beautiful finish. But at the same time, there's this incredible intimacy and warmth and Brahmsian, uh, Edwardian beauty to the piece that I think makes it one of the most gorgeous of all English symphonic pieces, as well as one of the great culminating works of the Romantic period in music generally. 
Uh, it happened that this was for Elgar his absolute breakthrough music, and it made him a household name in in England and really around Europe and eventually the world. Uh, and uh, and from this point on, he was kind of the great man of English music. So a glorious work, Edward Elgar's Enigma Variations. It's played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. The final work on our program uh, was none other than Max Bruch's magnificent violin concerto number no. one, featuring the legendary violinist Joshua Bell. I think in his third visit to the Albany Symphony, we're very proud to be able to work with artists of the caliber of Josh Bell and Yo-Yo Ma and Itzhak Perlman. Uh, I must say that you know one of the greatest things, in addition to the the fact that it's just so exciting to have artists of this caliber with us in our community before our public, is that when we play with artists of this stature, it so elevates the playing of the orchestra and me. Uh, it uh, sort of makes us feel like and in essence become superstars. And it's not just for that few minutes that we share the stage with the great artists, but we really feel that we take a great deal away from these experiences because um, you know the things that we learn from them in the rehearsal, in the preparation, in the concert, uh, we really then apply to our own performance when we're not uh, necessarily playing backup for one of the great artists uh, of the world. So it's a great privilege and a, a treat to, jo- uh, to welcome Josh back to our community. Max Brooks' Violin Concerto is one of the towering violin concertos of the repertoire and certainly of the 19th century repertoire. Uh, Bruch was a very beloved and and successful mid-19th century composer uh, working in in Germany. Uh, And uh, this work is is fascinating because it's really a model for another great concerto. Johannes Brahms heard this piece and uh, was so captivated by it and impressed by it that it really became the model for his magnificent violin concerto. Both pieces are linked to each other, the Brahms and the Bruch, through uh, the violinist for whom they were written, the great 19th century virtuoso Josef Joachim. Joachim was a a towering culture figure in 19th century Germanic life and European life generally, uh, one of the great violinists of the century. But he was more than just a violinist. He he was a great friend and mentor, principally to Brahms, but also to a great number of other composers, good, good friend of the Schumann family. Uh, And it was he who actually ended up bringing Brahms to uh, Robert and Clara Schumann. Uh, He had knew them very, very well and had premiered numbers of works and had had collaborated with Clara on chamber music frequently and was really a a big figure in the cultural world of of Germany and and of Europe. And it was he who discovered the young Brahms in Hamburg and brought him around the world and introduced him to everybody. Uh, So he played a very important role, particularly in in Johannes Brahms' life. But uh, the Bruch Concerto also was a work that was uh, commissioned by and premiered by Josef Joachim. A glorious three-movement piece. Uh, It begins with this uh, great set of little almost mini cadenzas uh, by the violin before the first movement gets started, which leads directly uh, without pause into one of the most beautiful romantic slow movements. Uh, And then there is a pause and a very thrilling and exciting, very dynamic uh, finale. One of the great violin concertos of the repertoire, it's Max Brooks' first violin concerto, the performances by Joshua Bell. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller.
Thanks for listening to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller of the Albany Symphony Orchestra from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.